Hello and welcome. Glad to have you with us. This is JHE Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries. In our Bible study, we are studying the book of Luke. Last time we were learning about the announcements of two births, John the Baptist and of Jesus. And the announcement Gabriel was giving to Mary about the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 1, verse 35. And let's get started. Now, last time we were in the middle of some dialogue between Gabriel, who's the angel messenger of God, and with Mary. Now, Mary has been told that she will be the mother of the Messiah. But Mary is wondering and even asks, how can this be? Because Mary is only betrothed to Joseph. And as we learned last time, being betrothed does not allow for sexual relations. That is only reserved or those that are actually married. So Mary is wanting to know of how God is going to accomplish this. She's not doubting it's going to be done. She just wants to know how it's going to be done. And now we pick up on Gabriel's answer here in verse 35. So let's go ahead and read verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also... That Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. Now, as we look at verse 35, we see once again Luke mentions the Holy Spirit, as he does six more times in the first two chapters. Now, the word for overshadow carries the sense of the holy, powerful presence of God, as in the description of the cloud that covered the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Now, this word is used in all three accounts of the transfiguration to describe the overshadowing of the cloud. Likewise, in each account, the voice comes out of the cloud, identifying Jesus as God's Son. And it's a striking reminder of this verse where the life that results from the enveloping cloud is identified as the Son of God. The child is called the Holy One, both because of his connection with the Holy Spirit and because of Jesus' life of purity. So in verses 36 and 37, we find the angel Gabriel citing the pregnancy of Elizabeth as further evidence of God's marvelous power and concludes with the grand affirmation that we saw in verse 37, 
Surely it's one of the most reassuring statements in Scripture. Now, Elizabeth's pregnancy, of course, is evidence of God's power because she was barren, as we recall. She couldn't have children, but now God has made it possible for, to, for her to have a child. Now, in verse 38, we see Mary's exemplary attitude of servanthood. Her servanthood is not a cringe in slavery, but it's a submission to God that in the Old Testament times, it characterized genuine believers, and it should also characterize believers today. Now, Mary's trusting submission at this point in her life can be compared with her attitude toward her son, Jesus, later on. And I want to take a side note here, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the virgin birth. I think it deserves a little time. Luke is thought to have gotten his story of Jesus' birth directly from Mary herself, while Matthew probably got his story from Joseph. But both state plainly and explicitly, unmistakably and unequivocally, that Jesus was born of a virgin, one whom has never had sexual relations before. Now, from the beginning in Unbroken Sequence, it has been held as a belief of the church until that is the rise of modern criticism, which attempts to discredit this miracle of God. If we believe in the deity of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, what is gained by discrediting the virgin birth? God's plan of redemption required that Jesus be born of a virgin. Since the fall of Adam, all mankind has possessed from birth a sinful nature that separates man from God. Mortal man was therefore unable to, to reconcile all mankind to God. Redemption required a man of godly nature, like Adam before the fall, to pay the penalty for mankind's sins. It is essential that the seed of Jesus was divine and incorruptible. The Holy Spirit impregnated Mary with God's Son, made flesh. This is a symbol or type of how the Holy Spirit indwells the hearts of born-again Christians. And now we learn about Mary's visit to Elizabeth. At this point, Luke deftly combines the two stands about Elizabeth and Mary. In it, he stresses Jesus's superiority to John. Because when Mary, when Elizabeth first heard Mary's voice, the child inside Elizabeth leapt with joy. He recognized the one more superior to him. I find that extremely exciting that a child in a woman's womb still recognizes the holiness of our Savior. But even so, the pattern of alternation continues that Luke does, going back and forth from John to Jesus, giving John his own important place as the prophet who goes before the Lord. 
Now, taking a look at verses 39 and 40, Mary apparently started on her journey as soon as possible. She probably traveled 50 to 70 miles uh, from Nazareth to Zachariah's home, which was in Judea. Back then, this would have been a major trip for Mary. And as we get into verses 41 and 42, we get into this beautiful narrative, the stirring of the unborn child that I kind of talked about a little bit ago, becomes a joyful prelude to Elizabeth's being filled with the Holy Spirit, who enlightened her about the identity of the child that Mary was carrying. So now here in verse 30, uh, 40, excuse me, now in verse 43, I want to point out that Nowhere in the New Testament is Mary called Mother of God. She was, however, the Mother of Jesus, the Messiah, and Lord. In verses 44 and 45, we see the word blessed, which describes the happy situation of those whom God favors. Elizabeth gave the blessing that Zachariah's muteness prevented him from giving. In her blessing, Elizabeth called attention to Mary's faith and God's faithfulness. Now, coming up next, we will find Mary's song, The Magnificent. This song, commonly known as The Magnificent, has several striking features. The first one is that it's saturated with Old Testament concepts and phrases. Secondly, it's going to show Mary's deep piety and knowledge of Scripture. Such familiarity with the Old Testament was not at that time unusual for a pious Jewish, Jewess, if you will, like Mary. Moreover, it reflects qualities suitable to the mother of the Lord. Thirdly, it will reveal a God who vindicates the downtrodden, and ministers to the hungry. It also strikes a revolutionary note. If Hannah spoke of the poor being raised to sit with nobles back in 1 Samuel, Mary sees the nobles toppled from their places of power here in Luke. Luke conveys a strong social, social message to us, one that is rooted in the Old Testament, and that with cultural adaptations is of continued meaning. Now, fourthly, Mary's Magnificent markedly transcends Hannah's song through its messianic element and implies Mary's consciousness of her own exalted rule as the kingdom dawns. This song can be divided into four stanzas. The first one that we will see is in verses 46 to 48, which praise God for what he's done for Mary. Then in verses 49 and 50, we will see the second one, which mentions certain attributes of God, which is his power or might, his holiness and his mercy. The third one we will find in verses 51 to 53, and it will show God's sovereign action in reversing certain social conditions. And then finally, the fourth one that we'll find in verses 54 and 55 will recall God's mercy to Israel. So let's go back to our Bibles, to verse 46, and let's read about the song of Mary. And Mary's going to be speaking. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, 
and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy on the, is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So beginning with verse 46, getting into Mary's song, Mary's talking, the excitement of Elizabeth, who actually shouted her benediction back in verse 42, gives way to a strength that is no less joyful. After an opening ascription of greatness to God, Mary acknowledges her dependence on God, her Savior. Indirectly, she acknowledged herself as a sinner who needs salvation. Her words are comparable to those of Habakkuk, who came through his trials rejoicing in God, his Savior. Mary's lowly state or her humble state probably refers to her lowly social position. The word does not usually convey the idea of humiliated. So in verses 49 and 50, Mary is in awe of the Mighty One, whose great power has been exercised in her life. God's name is according to common ancient meaning, his whole reputation or character. Now, mercy expresses an aspect of God's character sometimes overlooked when his power and holiness are stressed. And fear here means, as often usually in Scripture, it means a pious reverence. It does not mean afraid. It means reverence, to show awe or reverence. Leading us to verses 51 and 55, the main verbs in the two stanza are in the past tense, which is shown by, by the has shown or has scattered. They probably recall the specific times in the Old Testament when God acted. We must not, however, overlook the fact that Mary's references to the acts of God relate to the coming of the Messiah. Indeed, they may actually be predictive, though general in their content. Mary recalls God's covenant in verses 54 and 55. Forever is the final climatic words of the song. Now, in verse 56, Luke gives no hint to whether Mary's stay of about three months ended before or continued after the birth of John, who will later be known, of course, as John the Baptist. Now, coming up, we will have the arrival of John. John will be born, who will be the forerunner of our Messiah. But I'm going to save that for next time because we are running out of time. So until next time, God bless you.
and keep living Christian strong.